Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the social and cultural issues they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, the director of Woodmere Art Museum, and I'm in the galleries today with George Yevremovich. George is the proprietor of a business known as Material Culture here in Philadelphia, and he was the patron and close friend of an artist, Twins 7-7. And we're going to talk about twins in the context of an exhibition, Africa in the Arts of Philadelphia. Barbara Bullock, one of the three artists in the show, is going to join us in the course of the conversation. George, if you could just, you know, tell us a little bit about Twins' career from the early time of his visits to Philadelphia in the mid-1960s, right up through the trajectory of his career. I was contacted by Kathy Foster, curator of American art at the Philadelphia Art Museum some years ago, and she alerted me to the fact that this African artist, Prince Twin 7-7, was living in the area, had kind of fallen on hard times, and she knew of my deep abiding interest of self-taught so-called outsider art, all that sort of thing. But I didn't know the name Twin 7-7. She put me in contact with him and he was living at that time in Upper Darby and had been sort of prosecuted legally to be evicted from his property, had really fallen on hard times, had some money issues and uh, things were not going well for him. So I Got the address, drove over there on a Friday afternoon in early spring, and met him. And when I walked into the house, it was in sort of disarray, and he clearly was in a position to be moving out. He was being evicted, and scattered around the floors were works of Twin 7-7 art, and I was quite amazed at all of that. And I looked at these works and kind of sized up the situation, understood that he needed to make a sale, and I fell in love with his work at that moment and made him an offer. And what better number to come up with than $7,000 for the works that happened to be scattered about at that moment. And he was quite emotional in the response. He thanked me profusely, and, you know, we sort of struck up a conversation on his work and where he had been in his life and how he ended up in Philadelphia at that time. And it's a long story. But I had to ask him kind of naively at that point if he needed a job. I wasn't even thinking in terms of him working as an artist because he had sort of implied that he had sort of come to an end of that career in his life, which didn't make much sense to me. But so I asked him, I said, well, why don't you come over to Material Culture on Monday and let's look at some possibilities over there. And that's what he did. So he showed up on Monday and again, naively, I took him over to what we then referred to as the wood shop at Material Culture, which is where we were restoring antique Asian furniture and all that sort of thing that we were importing in that time from uh, villages in Northern and Southern China and thought that uh, maybe that would be something he could do or would even have an interest in. Long story short, he sort of set about doing some tasks that were assigned him by the guy in charge over there, and after two or three days, we understood it wasn't for him. So once again, I naively asked the next question. Uh, 
which is, and I, was, I guess I was putting the bar pretty low considering that we're talking about one of the world's greatest artists, okay? And I asked him, I said, well, you know what? What if you painted some shopping bags, you know, and signed them, and then we would sort of put them, you know, at the front of the store, and we could offer them to our better customers, and this is one of those times where you suddenly, you know, you're unaware at the moment when it's happening, but you're actually creating an interesting artistic moment, art historical moment, you might even say. And so he did that, and he made these incredible large brown shopping bags with quintessential Twin 7-7 imagery. He signed them, and the many hundreds of bags that he did, and most of which we simply gave to our better customers. We probably sold some of them, but weren't really being created for sale at that point. Here's one of those shopping bags, and it's a very beautiful object that's depicted on it. It's geometric. I always thought it was another bag, like it's a bag on top of the bag. <laughs> that's what I see, but is that what you see, George? I also see that. Yeah, I do. And it's it, it, you know, it's funny, a lot of the imagery that he would put into the shopping bags, it, it's clearly his hand, but it was a time to just be whimsical and simply to just go f from one work to the next work to the next work. And I think that's, you know, over the several years where I would often watch him create paintings, uh, that was something that was amazing. He never seemed to hesitate. He seemed to have some kind of internalized vision of what was about to happen, and he would go with it. And this bag sitting on the shopping bag is sort of emblematic of that approach. I love this concept of being in a moment that you realize is transformative in terms of creating an opportunity that's going to lead to something big. And I wonder, George, if you can sort of pick up on that and describe what you saw coming there, or what was the line that had just been crossed that was so... Well, the fact that he would sit down and create these wonderful shopping bag works of art, and the natural question then was, well, to raise the bar and simply say, would you like to simply sit down and have a studio space here at Material Culture and create works of art, you know, and simply do what you do best. And he loved the idea, and that's when we started that relationship. And in economic terms, we made it pretty simple. And rather than simply pay him a salary or X per work type of formula, I decided that the best way to do it would be to simply say, whatever you make here, simply give us first dibs on coming to an agreement on what the sale price would be, and otherwise you'd be totally free to market it to you know whomever. And it basically kept it transparent and simple, and which is kind of the way we liked it. And it certainly worked for him, and it certainly worked for us. And I, my guess is that probably of the works that he was creating in the studio space at Material Culture over several years, probably we ended up buying about 80% of it, and about 20% he would find other customers for. I mean, I feel that on this idea of twins at Material Culture applying his, his virtuosity. I mean, he's an extraordinary linear artist, and 
this leads to you know one of the spectacular objects in the exhibition, and that is the dinosaur. And it's very exciting to have the dinosaur here at Woodmere. I think it's our first dinosaur. And I, I would just love to describe it for a second. The dinosaur is about seven feet tall. He's a T-Rex with mouth open, you know, teeth prominent, jagged teeth. He is standing on his hind legs. His front arms are reaching forward. There's this cylindrical support element holding up his belly. And, you know, what I love about the way twins attacked the dinosaur is he uses that stump as a place for a snake to wind its way around. And so, as with so many works by Twin, you feel the connection of, you know, the main character, the dinosaur, to the earth. Like the snake is, you know, coming up out of the ground, making its way up. And then the physical surface of the dinosaur, as you said, covered with patterns. I have to think he was thinking about children because he makes us a happy dinosaur. And we absolutely need you to tell us the story of the dinosaur. Yeah, well, the dinosaur is large enough to almost probably have been an actual dinosaur once upon a time in terms of scale and, and form. And in the tradition of found objects and turning found objects into artworks, the dinosaur I found at an amusement park of all places in Karachi, Pakistan, when I was over there on a buying trip and also involved in various rug productions there and in Afghanistan. And I purchased it for material culture simply as a found art object, you know, for display at the store. And every once in a while, twins would look at it and we would discuss it. And I sort of challenged him to, what can you do with the dinosaur twins? And he said about creating a fantastic work of art. And it's one of those pieces that shows up prominently in Henry Glassie's book on Twin 7-7. And so you actually can get a lot of the details there, but it's true Twin 7-7. And one of the remarkable things about this artist is his ability to work fluidly in a very linear way and to begin something and for it to simply continue. And even on the rare occasion when I saw him spill a little bit of ink onto a painting, you know, a cloth or a large piece of paper, he would see that as an opportunity to integrate that into the pattern, work from that, and in the same way that he looks at this dinosaur and you see the, you know, the appendages and the tail and the teeth and all aspects of it, and every bit of surface is an opportunity for him to sort of bring his world view, his Yoruban vision into something that you wouldn't normally associate, but hey, the dinosaurs were ever once upon a time. I would love to ask you, did you see twins actually doing the art on the surface of the dinosaur. I would love you to talk about his process. How did he approach a work of art? Did he plan things out or did he just go with it? I mean, I didn't watch him from beginning to end. It took a number of days. It's a large project. There's a lot of surface there, but I watched him plenty of times over the course of several weeks when he was working on this. And true to Twins' method, did he have a plan? I think he had a vision, and I think it was part 
plan and part deep intuition, and I honestly think that he worked spontaneously. So I'm sure that there were certain ideas that he had, a vision, and then he would just go with it, and then the process itself would affect it. I never saw him hesitate very much when he was working. He would take a break. He seemed to be constantly talking to people on the telephone in Nigeria, so he would take a break, but the fluidity of his work, and I never saw him at a point where he didn't seem somehow able to lift a pen, lift a brush, and work. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't constantly focused. I think he was focused to a high extreme. I mean, the many, many hours that I saw him create works convinced me that he was a natural artist. He didn't fall into a problem of self and understanding himself and his need and his mission in his work. I love this idea, George, that you are bringing Twin 7-7 into the room. And I do want to get to talking about the portrait of you that he made, which is extraordinary, and we need to pick apart the details there, and we need you to tell us about what's going on. But what would his response be? I mean, the other artists in the show, Charles Searles and Barbara Bullock, were friends. And if he were here, what would he say? I think he'd love the show. I think he'd certainly see the connections between himself and the other two artists. And I think that he'd probably look at their works through his perspective, his Yoruba myth, seeing his internal eye and look at it and talk about it in African terms. That's what I think. I think he'd be looking at these works like they were done by other African artists and talking to them from that point of view. So he would interact with them as Africans. For sure, yeah we have walking into the gallery one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Barbara Bullock. Barbara, welcome. I am so glad to have you here with us at Woodmere. We're, you know, talking with George. This is a portrait of George by Twin seven seven, and I love it because I can see that this is a portrait of George. George, I know you know you live here in Philly, and there's your house behind you, and it's made out of bricks, and maybe those are multiple roof lines. It looks like your body is covered with tattoos, although I'm looking at you right now, and I can see that your arms and your hands, at least, don't have tattoos on them. But twins often talked about tattooing as part of his process, and especially the great works of art on wood. He talked about, you know, tattooing the individual layers, and it, it seems like, you know, that's what he's doing here. What's going on with your body there? I mean, or, or how do you read this? You know, it was a funny event because in our relationship, I'd always been sort of commissioning him to do his art. And then, of course, buying a lot of the old works that he had still in his possession or that were coming from other connections of people he knew in Europe and so forth. But we sort of reached a point where he wanted to raise some money. He wanted to go back for a period of time to Nigeria and he had a 
a need to raise some extra cash above and beyond that, and he suggested that he do a portrait of me, and that was that it was not something that ever really occurred to me. I'm not the type of person who goes out and commissions people to make paintings of myself, but I said, you think you can do that? I mean, do you think you want to do that? And he said, of course, and I said, well, then go ahead. And then, I don't know, a month, two months went by, and one day he showed up. He actually came out to my house, and he pulled this painting out of his car, and he said, this is your portrait. And at first I looked at it, and I liked the painting, but then I was looking for meanings of what it is. Where am I in this? Because I'm holding a kind of mask, a bird mask in front of my face, and I didn't quite understand where that came from, and I said, what's the deal with that mask? And he said, way back when, on his first trip to the United States, he was given a big party in some rich person's house out in Texas, and everybody at the party had masks somehow. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the event was, and he said it always kind of stuck with him, and he doesn't know why exactly, but he just wanted to put a mask on my face rather than showing my entire face. And you know, I love the fact, I mean, I'm close to my animals, My wife and I are both very much close to our animals. I think he always got a kick out of coming over to our house and seeing how much we loved these little animals. And he took it at face value and sort of figured out that as far as we were concerned, they were just like people in other forms and real presences in our lives. So I'm holding a small dog that we had. There's Henry the cat on the lower right. There's Smokey, the Weimaraner on the lower left. And, you know, what you said, of course, about kind of the tattooing of of my flesh, my arms, my chest, and all of that. Well, of course, I'm not tattooed, but that's only the visible tattoo. As all of us are, we're spiritually tattooed. And in that sense, I think you look for clues, or I certainly look for clues. I must say that when he delivered the painting, the watch on my wrist on my left arm it said Rolex (laughs) and I intervened at that point okay and I said I'm not going to take this painting if you got me wearing a Rolex because I don't wear a Rolex (laughs) he said not a problem and he kind of erased the, the Rolex so yeah he took the brand off and kind of just you know Uh, made it more like something I would actually wear, (laughs) okay. But it has all the details of twins, the meticulousness. I mean, I love the shirt itself. I mean, the patience that it takes to get in there and to create a kind of uh, almost a a textile pattern, but a brick pattern built in, you know, kind of riffing off the, the slate roof behind us in the background and all of that. And what I find interesting, too, is the absence of color in some of the, 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 the plants on the lower left. And in my sense is that sort of life yet to be lived or to be filled in, something like that. I don't know, how, you know what to think of it, but it hangs in our house outside our bedroom. It's, this is the first time it's ever been seen outside of that context. It's a real privilege to have this painting on view, and I think it does give us 
an understanding of Twin 7-7 in this world that Americans live in. And I'm so fascinated by the story of the watch and of the mask and that this comes from an experience that twins had at a party. Sounds like it was a Tony party. And this idea of the mask as something that hides but doesn't hide. I mean, your eyes are coming through the mask. Your eyes are on top of the mask. And yet the mask is a layer. Uh, You know, it protects you. But the mask itself is not fraught. I mean, it's very complicated. It looks like that bird is tied tight to the top of the stick that you're holding. That You know, it's not a mask with, you know, elastic around your ears. It's a mask that's made, and it's not without the certain violence against the bird. So the mask itself, as a symbolic element of the portrait, to me is, is a statement about who we all are. And you described that. And I think that, you know, twins knew you very well and probably knew that you didn't wear a Rolex, but yet wanted to put it there as a symbolic thing. And that you objected to it, I think was absolutely within your right to do, (laughs) um, because it's not who you are. But that this is a portrait of you, but it is also a portrait of everything that you represent, a protector of animals, someone embedded in the growth and beauty of the world as represented in the garden and the beauty of the animals. And yet there's extraordinary symbolism and abstraction to it, but then keen observation. We do have to ask you about the eyeglasses, George, because did you wear two pairs of glasses around your neck? Yeah, I I frequently did wear two sets of and so it's a twinsing, if you will, you know, of the eyeglasses. And he caught that about me because I would frequently go around with two pairs of glasses, uh, reading glasses and sometimes sunglasses or distance glasses, but frequently two. And yeah, it's how I saw things. And so this is a lot about how twins sees you, but what's so wonderfully evocative, it's also how you see the world. And Barbara, I have a feeling you want to say something about this, and I I want you to do that. Okay. Well, I think knowing Twin 77, it feels as though he's pulling your spirit out of you, and that's what he's showing. He's showing your spirit in your arms, the design on your arms, the fact that he always thinks of man and animal as the same. Knowing twins, it's your spirit that he was painting. And that bird is like, um, it's, I don't see it as a mask. I'm beginning to see it as a mask. But I feel like it's really about your spirit. You know, that's what I see in all of his work. And with the Rolex, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like, um, For African artists, like a lot of the things that we wear, our jewelry, are very special to them. He knows Rolex. He knows about the Rolex. And so I think that's probably why he painted it in there. And I'm looking at, like you mentioned, the absence of color in that one area. I'm still trying to figure it out. But looking at the design on the shirt, today... You won't find that. 
you might find it in a collage. Nobody's going to take their time and do that. That's painted. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the way twins treats space in the painting? Because I love the way, especially the collar, you know, one side of the collar is turned back and then one side of the collar, it seems like he's tried to make a three-dimensional area there and it's so soft and beautiful. Space. This is unusual. He doesn't have breathing space in his paintings. You cannot, I mean, they're filled with spirit and filled with color and designs that you're gonna see 10 years from now, you're gonna to begin to see it. Thank you, George. Thank you, Barbara, for joining us today. Please check out our website, woodmereartmuseum.org, for information about the exhibition itself, but the many, many programs that will be taking place that integrate music, fashion, dance into the fabric of the exhibition. Thank you to Stephanie Marutis of Cavender Media, dedicated to narratives of social change, and I hope you'll subscribe to Diving Board.